want to invite you to grab a Bible with me this morning, or you can open that Bible app or grab a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. But join me, if you will, in James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Now, as you're turning in your Bible, I just want to remind you of a word that I haven't heard in a long, long time. But I remember as a kid hearing this word a lot. I remember hearing it out on the playground at school, at a, a youth group, at the park, at uh, swim uh, when you were at the swimming pool, uh, maybe you're hanging out with your friends and you're just teasing them that they couldn't do something that you could do, whether it be throw a football or uh, shoot a basket or something like that. But here's a phrase that was very popular back in the early 1990s. If you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk, right? What, what does that mean? Well, it, it means that if you're going to uh, talk about how amazing you are at something, you better be able to do something about it, about what you're talking about. <clears throat> I grew up in a small town in Ohio. I remember when I was in junior high and even into high school, skateboarding, it was a big deal. It became a huge deal. I mean, skateboarding is kind of a dying art today, but back in the day, there was a guy by the name of Tony Hawk, and Tony Hawk was absolutely amazing on the skateboard. He could do all of these amazing tricks, and everybody wanted to be just like Tony Hawk. Well, back in the day, skateboarding involved a massive subculture of people. In fact, everywhere that you went, there were signs that had been posted all over the place that said, no skateboarding, but people would skate anyway. And there were skate shops all over the place as well. It was a huge deal in the 1990s and even into the early 2000s. But, but I remember how the skateboarding community came up with a word to describe people who kind of talk the talk, but they don't really walk the walk. I mean, it was the lowest kind of insult that you could possibly give to anybody with a skateboard. If you looked at somebody and you said, oh, you're just a poser. I mean, that was like the worst thing that you could possibly say to them. It was like a part of their soul was killed. <laughs> well, I, I did ride a skateboard a little bit when I was in junior high, but uh, for the most part, I was not very good at it at all. In fact, I actually was maybe more like one of those posers than anything. I mean, I... I, I I didn't really go to the skate parks too much because, honestly, I just didn't want to look bad. But if you went to a skate park and you saw people and they're skating around, uh, or maybe you went to the school and you saw people skating around, and you, you, you could always point out who the posers were. I mean, here's the deal. Posers, they would look the part. I mean, they had the right shoes. They had the right clothes, the right hairstyle. They listened to the right music. They, they had the right skateboards. They held their skateboard in the right kind of way. But if you watch the posers, I mean, uh, I, I'm not trying to be mean here because on more than one occasion, I actually was one of those posers. I, I tried to act like I was a skater when I really wasn't. Opposers had the look, but they never actually did much with the skateboard. I, I, I mean, every now and then you would see a, a, one of these posers and they'd be walking around. They, they, they'd be holding their skateboard. They, they'd take their skateboard, they'd put it down on the ground, and they'd just kind of roll on by. But, but then they'd pick it back up and 
they, they just stand there with their skateboard. The, the real skaters would, would say, hey, you see, that person, they look the look, but they don't really live out the way that they look. Now, a couple of months ago, as a church family, we started a study together through the New Testament book that was written by the half-brother of Jesus, a guy by the name of James. And what I love about this book is that James is just really practical here about what it means to be a Christian and to live like a Christian. In fact, he says, if you want to talk the talk, then you've got to walk the walk. If you remember, James is writing to Jewish Christians who grew up in a very religious society, a place where a lot of people looked very holy. They they looked the right way, they said all the right things, but, but if you followed them around, they didn't look all that much like followers of Jesus, and James actually confronts this issue head on. Now, it's been a few weeks since we have been in this study, and so If you need to review, or maybe if you're a visitor here today, I just want to encourage you, go to our church website, go back, listen to those messages. But at the end of chapter 2, there is this very significant, very important passage of Scripture where James says, listen, if your faith does not include works, then your faith is dead. I gave you a famous quote that is attributed both to Martin Luther and to uh, John Calvin, the statement we're going to put on the screen again here this morning, but just simply says this, it is faith alone that saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. We, We should all say amen to that. You see, if we had to work our, out our own salvation, none of us would be able to do that. No, none of us would be able to save ourselves by works. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. What does that mean? Well, that, that's the Holy Spirit through James saying, listen, if you're going to talk the talk, then you better walk the walk, and I'm going to help you to do just that. And it's like James is saying, Christians, I'm writing to you and I'm challenging you. Don't be posers. Don't be people who look like Christians, but who actually don't live like Christians. And Today, James is going to get really, really practical here. Your Bible's open in front of you. We're going to put these words on the screen as well. But I want to invite you to follow along as I read the first 12 verses of James chapter 3. Here's what it says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect, a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, but it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. 
The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Again, I love just how practical James is here. Maybe this is the first time that you have been in church, or maybe this is the first time that you have heard this, but you don't need a theological degree or some kind of Greek lexicon open in front of you in order to understand what it is that James is saying here. You don't have to go to seminary to know what James is talking about. He's talking about the tongue. And it's not just that little piece of flesh that is in your mouth, in each of our mouths. He's talking about the way that you and I speak, the words that we say. The fact is, in fact, this isn't the only place in James that is talked about or where he talks about the tongue. There are five chapters in James, and each one of those five chapters, James says something about the way that you and I use our words. But, but listen, this is not just something that James is concerned about. This is something that we see throughout the entire Bible. If you read through the Bible, you're constantly going to come across places where there are warnings for us to watch our words by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to just give you a few snapshots of this, if I could, here this morning. So Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3, it says this, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. In Psalm chapter 141, in verse 3, the psalmist literally prays, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. Look at just how intense this is. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Psalm, or, uh, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24 says this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Friends, here is what I want us to see as we begin our time here today. The way that we speak is no small thing. This is not like, ah, oh, you know what, I'll get around to it someday. No, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible is very clear. You need to watch your words. So, as we look at this passage of Scripture here today, I want to do so by looking at three main truths. The first one is just this. Words are powerful. 
Now, I'm sure that none of you are sitting here this morning and you're thinking, wow, I didn't see that one coming. Because, you know, probably this is not a massive, mind-blowing truth to you, but it is very foundational, especially for our time together here today. Words are powerful. James kicks off this idea of words being powerful, and he gives this warning to teachers. There it is in verse 1 where he says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Here's what James is saying. You and I are going to answer for the words that we say the way that we teach. You say, well, this is great because I'm not a teacher. But wait a second here. As a teacher, as a preacher, I do believe that this is absolutely having application to those who formally teach the word of God like what I'm doing right now. What James is saying here definitely applies to what I'm doing and what we do week in and week out as we preach. There needs to be a seriousness to this. And for me, one of the prayers that I often pray as I think about standing in this pulpit is, God, guard my mind against anything unbiblical and guard my mouth against anything unhelpful. Because I understand that that I'm talking to a lot of people here, people here in this room, people online, and myself and Pastor Eden and the elder team take the preaching and the teaching of God's word very seriously. There is application here from James to us in that. But you are not off the hook if you've never stood on the stage, if you've never preached in this pulpit. Because in some ways, we are all teachers. I want you to just think about this for a moment. We're going to put a statement up here on the screen here, but it's just this. What is a teacher? What is a teacher? A teacher is someone who knows God and teaches his word. And so if you are a Christian parent and you do a Bible study with your kids before they go to bed at night, or maybe you're a small group leader and you're leading your group in talking about how to apply God's word to their lives, or maybe you're meeting one-on-one with someone and you're meeting at a coffee shop just trying to do some discipleship with them. Listen, if you are teaching people the word of God, then you are a teacher, Do you remember what Jesus himself said right before he ascended into heaven? Uh, He was crucified on the cross for our sins. He was resurrected. He spent 40 days discipling and uh, talking about the kingdom. And right before he ascended into heaven and and would spend uh, spend eternity there preparing a place for us, um, the Holy Spirit uh, would be sent to begin the church. But He gives these words, Matthew chapter 28. We call it the Great Commission. These are our marching orders. Jesus says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Listen. The Great Commission is not just for formal pastors and elders. If you are are a believer, it is for you. we, We are all teachers. 
If you have someone who looks up to you spiritually, then the Bible says, be careful about the words that you use. Well, after this, James moves on to talk. Uh, he's, he's talking about just how powerful our words are. He gives these two very vivid word pictures, these images that might seem a little strange, but I think have a big impact. The first one that he talks about is a bit in a horse's mouth. And then secondly, he talks about a rudder that controls a ship. And I want us to just get these images in our minds once. So we're going to put a, a picture of a horse up on the screen. And, and most of you know that I grew up on a farm, but uh, we didn't have any horses. We actually had cows and pigs. Our, our neighbors had horses, but uh, I, I, I've never actually ridden a horse in my entire life. However, I, I have stood beside a horse before. And if you've ever stood beside a horse before, you know just how big and how powerful these things are. In fact, I had a friend when I was in grade school, he had a horse, and uh, I was over visiting him at the house one day, and he's trying to show me this horse, and he's standing behind the horse, the horse takes a step back, steps right on his foot, and breaks every bone in his foot. Uh, these things are big. These things are powerful. I remember my dad very clearly telling me to never stand behind a horse because if that horse gets spooked or something like that and they kick you, I mean, they could end your life in a heartbeat. Well, you notice in this picture that there is this thing that goes over the horse's head. It's called a bridle. And you can't see it here in the picture, but attached to that bridle is this bit that goes in the horse's mouth. And this massive, powerful animal who could be very dangerous if it's not tamed. When you put a bit in its mouth and a saddle on its back, you could actually put a child on this thing. Why? Well, because this huge animal is controlled by this tiny bit that's in its mouth. James is trying to tell us something here. Well, I want you to think about a cruise ship as well here. And we've got a picture of this that we'll put on the screen. But, but I remember years ago uh, being down in Florida and watching these enormous cruise ships just coming in and out of the port. And it, it was just incredible how big these ships were, like 20 decks high. But, but you look at this huge cruise ship in this picture here, and at the very bottom, there are these four tiny little rudders. They're so small that you think, well, how could those things have any kind of impact on this big boat? But these rudders have the power to move this boat in and out of tiny ports and, and even all around the world. So what is James saying here? Well, He's saying that these very small things can have a very big impact. Very small things that, that look almost insignificant can completely influence and change the direction of something. And what James is saying is, listen, Christians, the words that you say are powerful. And he compares our words to the way that a bit controls a horse or the way that a rudder controls a massive cruise ship. Friends, what we say matters. Again, Jesus had a lot to say about our words as well. 
When Jesus was here on this earth, he was teaching about the kingdom and he said something that was very important that I think is helpful for us and to this conversation that we're having here this morning. Well, one time he was talking about the power of words and he wanted us to know that it's not just words in and of themselves that are powerful, but that that it's where they come from that really matters. And uh, some of you are probably familiar with this, but in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus said this, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What is that saying? Well, you show me somebody who is angry all the time. Or you show me somebody who is boasting all the time. Somebody who's critical all the time. And Jesus says that is an evidence of what's actually in their hearts. And listen, that's so convicting, right? Friends, the tongue is such a small part of the body, and yet it has such tremendous power, which is the first foundational truth for us today. Words are powerful. But there's a second truth that kind of builds on this, and it's this. Words are powerful to destroy. Words are powerful to destroy. James continues here with some very descriptive and bleak language. In the second part of verse 5, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Uh, James paints a very bleak picture here. He says that not only are our words powerful, that's foundational, but but they're powerful to mess some things up in our lives if we're not careful. Some of you might remember an event that took place in that crazy year of 2020. Out of nowhere in Southern California, as if COVID wasn't enough, someone decided to do something that actually set off a massive forest fire. It was known as the El Dorado Fire. We've got a picture of this that we're going to put on the screen. But this fire was all over the news for a long time. It burned. And it burned over 10,000 acres of land in the San Bernardino area. I mean, houses were destroyed. Firefighters were killed. This was a massive news story. As if 2020 wasn't bad enough, now Southern California was on fire. Well, after days and days and days of fighting this fire, they were actually able to uh, get some control over it. And uh, the smoke began to clear. The officials got together and they tried to figure out what is it that started this massive fire in the first place? I mean, surely it must have been a bomb that, was, that went off somewhere, right? Or, or surely uh, it, it, maybe somebody decided to set like 50 bonfires all at the same time in this weird cosmic reaction. All of it went up in flames. Or, or, or maybe there was this truck and it had gasoline in it and it wrecked and it exploded and started this fire. What could possibly cause 10,000 acres of land to be massively destroyed in Southern California? Well, some of you remember this story, but as they discovered what it was that started this fire, it wasn't any of those things. It was actually a pink and blue smoke bomb that people use to let uh, the, the social media world know if they're having a boy or a girl at a gender reveal party. 
I mean, you talk about feeling terrible, right? Something went wrong. The, the, there was a faulty product. It malfunctioned. And out of this tiny little spark, over 10,000 acres of land was absolutely destroyed. Houses were lost. People died. This is what James is saying here. We need to see this picture because we need to understand just how powerful our words can be to destroy. And I think that we need to be sensitive here because even as I'm talking, some of you are thinking of wounds and hurts and ways that you have been destroyed by words. If I asked you, hey, what's the most discouraging thing that anybody has ever said to you? Immediately thoughts and phrases would begin to come into your mind that have just wrecked you. You don't have to think all that hard because maybe you've been carrying this around for months or maybe even years or maybe decades. The power of a small spark that has set the course of your life on fire. Friends, we can say something in 10 seconds that we forget 10 seconds later that the person that we said that to will carry around for 10 years or more. Listen, it can be really humbling when I look at my kids and when I think of the times when I have been frustrated and in my anger have gone too far and have said some things that I should not have said. Or maybe something that has come out of my mouth towards my wife in a way that it shouldn't have. And I think, God, help me not to set fire to their lives. Yes, we praise God for his grace. But, but this, is, this might be the moment when we just need to, to pause here to, to kind of reflect a bit and to think about the words that we say. Words are powerful to destroy. That's why Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says it very clearly. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. You know, you think about that, how, how uh, people can say words and it can feel like it's just this piercing sword to your soul. But the tongue is, a, is the tongue of the wise brings healing. A small spark can set fire to our lives. So what does this look like? Well, I wanted to kind of set some boundaries around this and maybe uh, help, uh, help us think about this. And so came up with a short list of some of the things that, 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 that might be um, this small sparks that can kind of become a big deal in our lives and have this power to destroy. But, but here are some thoughts on this. It is unnecessary criticism. It is sarcasm, it's lying, it is rudeness, it is vulgar language, it's boasting, it's blasphemy, it's gossip, it's flattery, it's using my words flippantly and not really realizing just how much pain I could be causing. This week I was thinking back on some of the things that have happened in my life and the impact that words have made on me that I've experienced, and I've shared some of this before, but thought I'd share it again here this morning because I think it's a good picture of the power of our words. You know, when I think about just how much words can hurt, I think back on my childhood. I, I grew up in a great family, a mom and dad who really loved and cared about me. But, but I remember back to my early childhood uh, school days and 
how one of the big struggles that I had was I struggled reading. I mean, I worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. My parents would read to me. I would read to them. We spent hours and I would memorize all of these different flashcards of words and I, and I tried to sound things out and I worked really hard at it. I went to tutors. I went to specialists. My parents, they spent tons of time and effort and resources trying to help me learn to read. But it was just a real struggle. I went to school and I would have to read in front of everybody at school and it was difficult. I, I, I would read and I read really slow and I pronounced the, the words, but I couldn't pronounce them right. And, and people would correct me all the time. And some of the kids in the class would laugh and they would say mean things. And sometimes even the teachers would as well. And I think about how even as an adult, some of those memories can still have incredible pain. And I would go home to my mom and I would cry and I would just say, why can't I read? I mean, I just want to be like everybody else. And all I can say is praise God for all the hard work that eventually uh, helped and things started to click. And I look back on that and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the struggle. But at the time, it really hurt. But, but you know, I was kind of reflecting back on all those things this past week and it kind of dawned on me. That, you know, the, the, the struggle has really motivated me over the years. Where it, it's like, you know what, I might be the worst reader out there, but I'm going to prove to you that I'm one of the best readers out there. And, and you might think that I'm an insignificant person, but guess what? I'm going to prove to you that I'm not an insignificant person. And I think that I can read pretty well today. I think that I'm a fairly normal reader, but it's interesting that sometimes there's still something inside of me because of the words that were spoken over 40 years ago where, where I, I can, it can just make me feel like I need to prove myself to somebody. And it's really convicting to me when I think about how I can take some of these things that I've experienced in my past and maybe even sometimes unintentionally put this pressure on my kids, on my sons and my daughters, and I want them to meet up to this certain standard because of what I experienced when I was growing up. Now, I'm just telling you that this is one way that I've experienced this in my life, but listen, friends, I am willing to bet here this morning that in the room today, I'm not the only one who struggles with this. If you think about the harsh words that at times come out of your mouth, maybe the destructive words that you have spoken, and you think about those things and you trace them back, I bet that you could find a link between what those harsh words that you're saying and the words that were spoken to you many years ago. And I say all of that not to kind of give you an excuse or maybe make you feel justified in feeling like you're a victim. No, I say all of that because guess what? James is not playing around here. Words are powerful and they can set a fire to our lives. They can set a fire to the lives of other people around us. Verses 7 and 8, James kind of goes on this funny rant here when he's talking about these animals. And he says, for every kind of uh, beast and bird, of rep reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
Now, we understand this. There are a whole Instagram channels that are devoted to showing how dogs can do these uh, amazing, cool tricks. There, you go down to Shedd Aquarium and you can see shows where sea otter or sea lions and otters are, are doing these amazing things. You go to the zoo and you can see a monkey that has been trained to do math. All of these animals can be trained, but no one has been able to tame or train the tongue. And it's so easy to flippantly use our words in a poisonous and destructive kind of way. And again, I think that this is an opportunity for us to pause. It's an opportunity for us to consider the words that we use because as followers of Jesus Christ, we represent him. And our words should not be words that tear down and harm, but they should be words that build up, words that encourage. James continues on in verse 9 And he says, with it, with our tongue, with our words, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Now, there's a bit of a glimmer of hope here. It's the first time that we see something positive when he says, out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Here's the third truth that I hope will encourage you today. Words are also powerful to build up. There's another option for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Words are powerful to build up. I'm sure that most of you here today have experienced the same thing that I've experienced at times. We come into this place. We come here. We spend time worshiping. We are ministered to by the music We are, uh, the the prayers that are being prayed are just extra powerful. The word of God is convicting. It's motivating. Our hearts seem to be so connected to each other, so connected to the Lord. And we walk out of church and we just feel like we're kind of floating on air. I mean, we're waving at people and we're hugging people. We're saying, hey, God bless you. And then we get home. We walk in the door. And we've told our kids a thousand times to put their shoes away. And yet now the shoes are right in the middle of the floor and we trip all over them. And now we just lose our minds yelling at our kids. This is what James is saying. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. You have a great quiet time where you're reading your Bible and you're journaling and you're saying, God, you are amazing. This is the best day ever. But then you walk out of the room, you go into the kitchen, your wife says something to you and you just lose your mind, right? We've all experienced it. James says, these things ought not to be so. Because the words that come out of our mouths are really a picture of what's going on inside of our hearts. And if we are really following after Jesus, then the things that we say are going to reflect that. Again, James is super practical here when he says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Listen, you need to watch our words. He concludes in this way, verses 11 and 12, when he says, does a spring Pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I mean, we understand what James is saying here, right? He's saying, you know, that's just not normal. 
If you go home after the service today and you go to make some mac and cheese for your kids and you go and you put some water in the pot, but you, you thought that what you were going to be pouring in this pot was going to be this awesome purified water that you paid a ton of money for. But what's really coming out is this nasty looking brown, dirty water. And in that moment, you think to yourself, what's going on? There's something wrong. Well, what James is saying here. He's saying, as God's holy, chosen, set-apart people, we should be different as we live out our faith. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Listen, I I think that for a lot of us here this morning, we, we might not think about our words all that much. We might not think our words are all that important. We might say whatever it is that we want to say, whichever way it is that we want to say it, we don't think it's a really big deal. But maybe today, the word of God will start to press in on our lives and say, listen, words are powerful. They're powerful to destroy and they're powerful to build up. Friends, we need to watch our words because our words matter.